Hi, welcome back. This is uh, the Ike cast. This, I'm Ike, and with me is uh, my co-host, Chris. And today we're going to be talking about an uncomfortable topic, but what we feel is a very important topic, and that is systemic racism. What is it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we hear that a lot, don't we? Like, oh, systemic racism or, you know, th- this place has a problem with systemic racism and all that sort of thing. But I don't think anyone has actually spent the time to actually, you know, explain what is systemic racism, right? Right. And why is it pervasive? Like, you know, it's like, okay, why is it everywhere, right? Why is everyone saying that there is this entrenched systemic racism everywhere? Um, And Yeah, and systemic racism, I I think you can also equate it to institutional institutionalized racism and um that's very much part of you know the whole uh, 13th amendment and the history of racism slavery within the u.s uh, this these are still remnants of that history which uh, i majority of americans you know we believe that yeah we've overcome it doesn't exist but that's not the case because it's become entrenched. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, any talk about systemic racism has to bring in first the historical context, right? Right. Uh, this exists, you know, in this historical purpose that that occurred because of, you know, multiple different reasons. Um, but, I mean, I guess the earliest way that we could talk about is, is if there is systemic racism, right? You know, where did it start? You know, mm-hmm. why did it start? How come we can't change it? Right? Right. Um, and the, the, the solution is very simple. It's always been that. Right? The, not even the solution, but the, the history is very simple. It's always been there. Right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's normal to, to, to almost any population that, you know, the majority, def- you know, protects themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 The majority protects themselves. That's just how it is. That's that's not you know, revolutionary or anything like that. But, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. modify that and say majority um, protects themselves. Um, but I'm gonna take one step and say those in power continue to protect themselves in order not to um, reduce that that level of control. Absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, something that 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 occurs right is that. Think of it like this. In the American context, racism goes as far back as, as slavery, right? Right, yep. Even further back, if you consider, you know, racism against, you know, certain white populations, right? But it goes, it goes very, very far back, hundreds of years. Right. right? You know, you have this institution, this, this, this custom of slavery that really focused on one class of people, this being, you know, people bought in the African slave trade, right? Yep. It really focused on that thing. It's not to say that there weren't other slaves from other places, right? But that was really the focus, you know, uh, compared to everyone else, it's hundreds of millions, you know, it's, it's millions upon millions, yeah. you know, uh, from the African slave trade and, and, and everything that started from there, all right? You have that issue. You have this institution that inherently, you know, chooses people of a specific race, Right, 
to, to take away their rights. All right, that's what occurs. Eventually, you know, prevailing minds, you know, occur, and the institution of slavery, which has been around historically forever and has been taboo relatively for a short time. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, yep. This institution falls apart. Uh, it goes away with, you know, the, the moral minds of several, you know, great individuals, right? And then slavery dies. Well, it's abolished. I don't think it necessarily dies because if you exactly. think about That's systemic racism is a form of slavery. Yeah. Well, no, there's the thing. It's like everyone goes, oh, it's over. We, we did it. All right. It's like slavery is over. Things should get better. Now, here's the problems that arise out of it. The people who write the laws, right, some of them are, you know, people who have it all in their, in their right head, right? Like, oh, yeah, we want to get rid of slavery. We want to do this. Other people, you know, they add things onto it. The issue comes in the aftermath of whenever there's progress. There's always people who claw back a little bit extra power to, you know, secretly maintain a status quo. Yeah. All right. And so slavery is gone. And, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation and then eventually the 13th Amendment takes it away, you know, makes, yes. it, makes it illegal, makes it, you know, impossible. However, there's a caveat. What is that caveat? Well, okay, so the 13th Amendment, I think that's the one that you're referencing, but the slavery and involuntary servitude is abolished. However, the carve out is except... Um, in the punishment for a crime where the person has been convicted, um, then the then the government does have the right to uh, force force them into labor. Yeah, without compensation. Yeah, and while that seems like a normal, you know, just a very very normal aspect of modern day life. Um, it, it can be abused, and that's the point. It, it's done so that it should be abused, right? It's, right. All right, we have this cutout that we can allow for an act like slavery, indentured servitude, right, for the purpose of punishment. Yes, yep. Okay. Now, states, in the United States, states come up with their own criminal code for the most part, and then there are federal crimes. Right. Yes. States that don't like this issue, that were like that now have this new caveat that they can, they can still you know do a form of slavery, but for prisoners, right? They can make it very easily to criminalize being black in, in a, in, or any sort of dissident in, in any way. If you can criminalize your opponent, your enemy, people that you don't like, and then enforce them to do you know essentially labor for you. As, as punishment for whatever crime. It's fairly easy. And if you can even take away more of their rights to fight against this idea, right? To fight against their, you know, them losing their freedoms through imprisonment, whether that to be, you know, laws that are morally sound or otherwise, right? Yeah. If you take that away by disenfranchising them, you know, poll taxes, poll levies, making sure that, you know, Jim Crow laws in the South that pop up that make it impossible for you to vote if your grandfather never voted. Right? Right. Little things like this created created by the Jim Crow era. Segregation, right? All of these things are designed to keep people down, to keep them in a place where from poverty, 
breeds crime from crime right breeds this you know workforce that fills your prisons that you can make a ton of money off of which now has created what everyone is well aware of as the prison industrial complex right for yeah. profit you know for profit prisons where the idea was you know punishment reflection and rehabilitation is now just punishment make some cash send them out on the street hopefully they can when they come back we'll make some more money right yeah rehabilitation which was central to it all is is gone and the reasoning is simple when it comes to prisoners no one cares <laughs> right if you if you've been convicted in you know it doesn't matter of what crime in your head for the most part for most people it's like yeah he's a criminal he deserves what he got Right. right. Yes. You know, an entire era of drug history where, you know, things that were normally legalized or things that were not, you know, problematic all of a sudden become illegal. And then everyone who gets caught for it are, are the, are, you know, individuals of a certain race or of different races, right? Criminalizing certain drugs, you know, higher than that of others because certain races use them over anything else, right? Right. Taking, right. you know, making, you know, it, all of it, right, occurs because the system in power and the people in power want to maintain it, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's the basis of systemic racism, that organizations, laws, um, very basic institutions, and then, of course, the economics of things, which eventually will become a topic in and of itself, all of it is done to conspire you know, to, to keep people down. And it's, it could be as simple as race. Sometimes it's as simple as class, right? Right. And all these different things are true. Like nothing exists in a vacuum. Nothing is all about race, but nothing is just all about class. But they can be about both in, to varying degrees. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's the historical basis. You know, like we have the 13th Amendment that created you know this new class of individual that can be legally enslaved on top of that they now make the laws on what you know is is a crime on top of that they make it very hard for people to enfranchise themselves and pull them up by their you know pull the the old american saying pull yourself up by your bootstraps you know live the american dream you now make it hard for people to do that which then creates, you know, and breeds crime, which then, you know, you know, fills up your, your prisons, which then fills up all that cheap labor that you want. Right. And now you've created a, a vicious cycle. You've uh, created the industrialization of incarceration. Yeah. Now that's one aspect of systemic racism. That's just one. Yeah. Right? It goes on further than that. It goes on to, you know, how people are, uh, you know, like internal biases. You know, there was that great study, and I wish I had it on hand. But you know, if you if you check it out, the study was very simple. You take two people with the exact same qualifications, resume, and CV, and everything. You change one to John Smith and one to Jamal Smith, right? Right. One is going to get answers; the other one is not. Right. It's right. not qualification that determined it. It was the simple read of the name, Jamal versus John. Yeah. Right. That's and that's not necessarily systemic, but the system doesn't, you know, punish behavior and bias like that, right? Yeah, but I, I think also you have to um, keep in mind 
that a lot of people don't realize that they may, that a bias may have come into play when they've made a decision. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, you don't realize it until it's pointed out to you because you know what, for the most part, you, you don't, you haven't done um, anything that treat, you know, anything overtly that would treat other people differently. It's yeah. just, yes, you've got these biases, which have been taught by society. Um, and those will pay or do pay, uh, play a role in um, how you view, view things, you know, with which lens are you looking at things. And um, that lens may not be something that you're familiar, uh, you realize that you have. Yeah. And this is not to say that everyone has this or that, you know, like, or everyone is, is or certain people are immune or some people are better. Like, uh, I did the, the, you know, that Harvard bias test, right, when it comes to race, mm-hmm. right? And um, I, I have, have to do that. Yeah. I, I, I did the test and the, the basic, you know, the, the, the outcome is I have a slight bias, uh, towards white people okay right it's a it's a it's a very slight bias but it's there it exists and it's it's something that you know i have to be well aware of you know that when i see something is this my inherent bias is this something else um and but that's what everyone has to do in order for this conversation to work everyone has to come to terms with with their own internal like struggles and their own internal working and 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 ask you know is there anything a part of this that that I can help with, right? Right. You don't, people aren't necessarily the problem, but they are the solution. Yes. You know, and that's why we we want to talk about this is because we want to be part of that solution. Exactly. The solution, you know, and we technically are part of racialized communities. You know, that's you know that that's definitely part of it. But we are in a, a more, I guess, you know, not really recognized, but more you know, safe and non-stereotyped community. Yeah. Right? Um, our community, you know, is really well known for for, for education and, and a million other things, right? We're not, you know, we don't have this, you know, inherent thing where we see a cop and all of a sudden, oh, we, we might be, you know, done for, right? There's, there's none of that that goes on with us. At the same time, though, you know, no one is immune, whether, you know, um, I find it funny that racism exists for everyone, including white people, but it's usually, you know, like it's, but they start separating based on where you're from, whether you're Irish or, or, or otherwise. Right. You know, um, and, it, and it occurs with everyone. Like racism exists because difference exists and people don't like difference. Right. But if you're raised with that difference, you eventually don't see it as different. You just see it as part of the, you know, just part of the landscape. That's why inherently when you look at cities versus rural areas, you know, the, the, the interaction between people is based on just, you know, how familiar you are. Mm-hmm. And that's what it takes, right? It's a little bit of exposure and, you know, you'll, you'll understand very much. You'll, you'll get to the heart of, of an issue and say, oh, now we get it. Right. Um, but, you know, going back to the subject at hand, right? Like systemic racism has a historical context. We like we got we nailed down that very specifically for the Thirteenth Amendment. All right, and then as we go on, you have the rights movements, you have Jim Crow, you have all of these things that occur. 
right? And mm-hmm. just when we thought that the 13th Amendment solved slavery and, you know, inherently would solve racism with it, right? The civil rights movement goes like, all right, well, it didn't solve racism. You know, people still were racist. The South still did its shenanigans. Let's fix that. Let's desegregate. Let's, you know, all of that. They, they go for it again, you know? Ostensibly, 100 years after it originally occurred, they go for, you know, the, the civil rights movement goes for trying to... to to get, you know, equalize, you know, and give people some level of equality, you know, at least equality and opportunity, right? Right. And, and that in, in the 60s gave rise to our, um, to the civil rights movement and um, protections under the Civil Rights Act that were supposed to help with uh, correcting or um, changing the landscape. Yeah. It was supposed to. Right. And that's the key word, supposed to. Yeah. And we never got it. Um, and the reason why we didn't get it is because the reality of, of just how these situations work. Mm-hmm. You know, the reality of, of how people work. All right. You know, they give a little, right. People think that they've achieved some sort of victory and then someone in power or, or someone else you know, make sure that on the back end, things don't really change. Right. Right. Yeah. And some things do some, you know, the march of history, thankfully, you know, leads towards progress. Right. But sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it, you know, it, it, it holds things back. It waits. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're living in very um, historically changing times. Oh, okay. I'm- yeah, I, there's me. There has been, and in my opinion, um, and Chris, uh, hopefully you agree with this. I, I think we're we're at a pivotal point in our in our evolution as a society with with the protests that have been happening. Absolutely, and I'd I'd like to argue. I'd like to argue very excessively that that more than anything that this t- period in time couldn't exist without Trump without I, I feel I go like hey listen if, if anyone needs the, the 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 sort of reminder that hey honestly it's you who caused this it, it, it's this current administration you know like let's let's be very real everyone remembers Charlottesville Good yes on both sides right literal Nazis and white supremacists on one side and the other people, right? People, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, anti, you know, these, these goddamn freaking, you know, white supremacists. And, right. and let's be very real. These people, you know, love their their great apparent European history, right? Protesting the the fall of Robert E. Lee's statue, even though he wasn't European, right? Mm-hmm. And ostensibly a traitor to his nation. Yeah. You know, that's that's what I love. You know, the 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 the, the heritage and history of, of traders is, is upheld over the heritage and history of your own countrymen in the country that you currently live in. Charlie's Sh- food was in twenty seventeen, wasn't it? Yeah. It I was. can't believe that it was that short time ago. Oh it yeah, no, Charlottesville Charlottesville was a wake up call to me because I was like there's this moment right here 
where yeah. all these people are openly and brazenly gathering. They're not afraid of their vitriolic ideas. They're not afraid of how it will be perceived. This is their flashpoint moment. Yes. This was that, their moment to, to, to seize, you know, the, the narrative, to, you know, to take, you know, control of, of, of their own, you know, uh, you know, projected destiny and to, to come together and make everyone known that they exist, they're real, they're an actual force. We need to, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Similar to like what's going on with George Floyd. The difference is, is that white supremacists fall apart in minutes as soon as, you know, anyone really challenges them. Right? Right, they, right. Uh, and nothing really came out of their little little show at Charlottesville. Meanwhile... Well, I would disagree with you. I, I think something did come out of it. What came out of it was a recognition that this problem this issue has not gone away it was just buried and now it's just surfaced to the top and we are as a society are going to have to address this and what happened in um, Charlottesville I think has been percolating for since 2017 and came to a head with the the video we saw um, regarding Mr. Floyd, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know. I, and I want to I just quickly hit on that. So, I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of the narratives. Oh, well, he was, he was in jail. He wasn't a good person. He was not upstanding. Uh, that ties into systemic racism um, and the institutionalized racism that we've been talking about. But... I'd like to point out that even if any of it was like off, all of it was true, right? Yes, none of right. what he did was a, worthy of a death sentence. Exactly, and that's what I was pointing getting to is that the because you know we saw it visually, we saw a person die. We've heard about it. We've heard about excessive police force and that. And the like, I've heard friends who talked about, you know, that they live by a certain, you know, different set of rules than somebody like me because, you know, they're, they're black. We, you know, why it's so, is we saw it. And so you can't try to take the narrative back and say, oh, but he wasn't a good person. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he, what he was. In the past, at that point in time, he wasn't resisting arrest. If you looked at the videos that had been captured, even from across the street, he followed what the officers were saying, yeah. right? And now, uh, I don't know if there's been video that's been released from when he was by the storefront to the car, but we can clearly see that for close to nine minutes... He begged for his life. There was a gross indifference to his life by the four officers, right? And especially the officer who had his knee on his on his neck. And I think we need to say there say his name because he he killed somebody 
okay, right in front of her eyes, under the guise that as a police officer, he was allowed to, right? Yeah. But it was excessive. It was excessive force. And that's what we have to keep in mind. It doesn't matter. Nobody deserves to, if they have been contained, there's no, um, you know, if you're no longer in danger, you need to stop. I don't understand why they didn't just put hit the handcuffs and take them, you know, transport him to the police station and then go through the steps that need to be taken to the police station. So that's where, this is where, as a society, we've, we, we, you know what, we hear about it, but we saw it. And we were like, no, this is not who we are. This is not acceptable. You do not do that. Well, I mean, and we're not going to protect you under implied immunity because, again, if you don't know what implied immunity is, you know, we encourage you to listen to our earlier podcast. Chris, do you know the name of the podcast where we had spoken with it? Um, um, if you can try to pull that name up, we'll we'll reference it back. But it was we're not going. You know, you won't be protected, and with with this implied immunity. And again, this circles back to that institutionalized racism, right? Implied immunity was a mechanism created by the Supreme Court to protect individuals who in their official capacity may have committed a crime, but you have to look at, okay, what it, it's, they've just been, you know, um, moving that, that line in terms of what would be protected and we reached a stage where murder becomes protected. Essentially. We've reached a stage where where this implied or sorry, qualified I believe is the word. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, qualified immunity. I apologize, you're right. It's qualified yeah. immunity. Yeah. yeah. It's we've reached this point where where murder, where the use of your force and ostensibly illegal killing. You know, there's plenty of legal killing out there. Yep. The time calls for it, right? But it's one of these moments is that these individuals are not taught to de-escalate. These individuals see a black person and assume threat right away. Right? Right. Right? They're trained to see everyone as a threat, but because of their own internal biases, they only see them as threats. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it, it becomes that simple for them. It becomes that's the sort of like governing principle of themselves. Yeah, I, I'm, and I want to say uh, that you know you have to take a look at also their circumstances, right? There's going to be circumstances where um, if your if your life is threatened, you're going to use force to to protect, right? Or somebody else's life is taken, or you see somebody else's lives that life is that is in danger, the police officer is going to take the actions necessary to prevent further uh, crime from happening, right? Further injury from happening. Uh, those are not the circumstances we're talking about. We're talking about where excessive force is used for a um, traffic stop, right? Yeah. Or, or a situation like what happened with uh, George Floyd. We're talking about those types of circumstances. And we're not saying that... I, in my 
I truly believe that majority of police officers are good people. They're there to uphold the the rule of law. Okay, and so we can you can't brush everybody with the same stroke as you would with the officer Chavin. But I think that the police forces are not doing a good enough job of finding individuals with the predispositions as a officer Chauvin would have. And I'm not sure if I'm even saying his name right, but um, do you know what I mean, Chris? It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, I don't, and I think, um, you know, the, that concept of defund the police, I, I don't think um, there's enough being discussed in terms of what that means. And uh, right. Defund the police doesn't mean you get rid of the police. Okay. I think what, what it is, is instead of using the to arm, it's use a percentage of the budget to educate, um, train, to deescalate, um, identify, you know, individuals who may have those biases and work with them to overcome those biases because I do think they can be overcome as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but go, going on further with your with, with your line of thought, I think that the issue fundamentally is that, you know, we have, you know, like even though there are people who agree that the police force is not cannot be 100% bad, but, you know, not everyone in the police force is a racist. I do think inherently that the police force, right, even with all of their mechanisms of accountability, does everything that they can to protect each other, right? Police unions, the police force, all of it is done to protect bad faith actors. Yeah. Right? Even though it was designed not to, right? That's what it's doing. It's protecting these bad faith actors who, you know, dishonor and destroy, you know, the badge that they're carrying, right? Right. The defund the police movement is as very simple as, all right, use some of it for community, uh, you know, use some of it for community outreach, community outreach and, and, and invest in communities, make sure that, you know, these criminalized communities, you know, are better, you know, um, that they are better maintained. All of that is, is a good first step. But the other first step is, you know, disbanding these police forces, reforming them, but going through extreme vetting and different training, right? De-escalation yeah. should be the goal. Um, the goal should be de-escalation. The goal should be not this, you know, we need to hound down every small crime out there, yeah. right? Yeah. These misdemeanors. Right, which then lead to random acts of violence for no reason, right? Right. We we need to to focus more on the big picture, you know, large scale, you know, policing, you know, using technology to our advantage. That's that's what people yeah. need to do. Yeah, I want to. Um, so I came across an interesting article. Okay, I was on um, Camden, New Jersey. If you're not aware, Camden, New Jersey had um, one of the highest death rates. Um, uh, crime rates in the country and this was in um, 2012 and what 
Camden, New Jersey had done was they had, um, they dismantled their police force. Okay. Um, and built it back up from, from bottom up. And so just to give you a perspective, so in, uh, and they did this in 2013. So in 2012, they had like 67 homicides, 107 sh- shooting victims, 175 open air drug mark drug markets, right? Kids and um, community couldn't walk to school or to their neighborhood stores. Um, there was there was a lot of there was crime scenes that were left un- unattended in order to respond to another shooting. It was just it was ranked. Um, the most dangerous city um, in the country and had a, a murder rate that was, you know, 18, 20 times uh, more than the national average. Right. And the, and the town population was about 77,000. That's a lot because it's not a huge city. So what, what they had done was they, um, you know, in 2013, they, they fired all of the, or they let go of all of the city officers and they created a new department. Okay. And they did it in conjunction with the, the county that has jurisdiction over the city. All of the officers that they let go, they had them um, apply as new hires and majority of the officers, uh, you know, that were rehired. Okay. And uh, what they focused on was community. Okay, they focused on building uh, community outreach, being more integrated with the community, because at the end of the day, you know what the community itself started stopped reaching out to the police force for for help, right? And and when you when you have a vacuum like that, where the, your the community that you're protecting is no longer asking you to help as well, there's really you the department becomes neutered for all intents and purposes. So they rehired majority of the people, right? And keep in mind, and then Camden, New Jersey, the police and citizen, about 95% of them are minorities. Okay, so they, they revamped it. And let's go forward uh, six years. They, the police department or Camden, New Jersey, their homicides have dropped 63%, okay? And total crime has been the lowest that it has been in over decades. I don't have the stats for how, you know, for that. But what happened was, is that, and one of the reasons they had to do it was there was a budget shortfall. There wasn't enough money for funding, right? They had to uh, let go or lay off 46% of their workforce. This is leading up to 2012 and 2013. So they didn't have enough people. There wasn't time to police everything. Crime scenes were unattended. And the city realized this isn't working. And like I said, they, they raised, raised it, rebuilt it, and focused more on community outreach. And that's, I think, what what has to happen is I'm not saying you know all police departments have to go no but the police departments have to internally look at okay why are we not succeeding or why is this happening and then 
work towards correcting it, fixing it, right? Because um, a law-abiding society works when enforcement and community work together. If law enforcement or community is not working together, we're going to have lawlessness, lawlessness, and um, some police departments are better at it, others not so much. But that has to be um, that has to be an internal scope that has to that has to be engaged. Um, they have to look at what's going on within their own framework and then come up with a solution, something similar to what um, Camden, New Jersey has done. Absolutely. I think that that Camden is a good, you know, test case to show that it is possible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not the only solution. It's not like, all right, what Camden did is going to work for everywhere. You know, no one is... Yeah. Yeah. No one... Yeah. No one is suggesting that. What people are suggesting, though, is that alternative means of policing need to be, you know, taken into consideration. And, and even more importantly, right, yeah. that, that accountability needs to be ingrained in the police department, right? And there's only one way to really be accountable, right? You yeah. need like oversight. Right. Right? Like, we, we have accountability and elections for every other aspect of government, Yeah. right? Right. And, and and with people of authority over us, right? right? We need them for the police. Now, the sheriff system, you know, where you elect a sheriff is a good, is a, is a half-decent solution. Yeah. Uh, it is a half-decent solution to, to, to uh, look at this problem, right? But it's not the only one. Accountability right. has many, many forms. Same thing with, with defunding the police department, re, you know, raising it and then creating something that works better for, you know, not just enforcement, but also, you know, prevention, right? An yeah. ounce of cure is worth way more than a pound. Sorry, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. Yeah. Right? Um, right. It, that's, that's all it takes. But, you know, as long as we continue to just turn a blind eye, allow this thing to occur, because, you know, it's, it doesn't really affect our community, right? Like, you know, this, our community is not truly affected by this. But I think everyone has to come together now with the empathy to realize that it, it could have been us. It could yes. be any one yeah. of us, right? The empathy needs to be there to realize that we all, you know, we all share, right, in this possible grief. And, you know, that we all share in this idea that, you know, we all deserve to be treated fairly and with respect. Right, irregardless of, of who we are or what we look like. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it should be that simple that people can use that. Yeah. You know, that yeah. people can use that. Yeah. But uh, you know, that's gonna be in time. Um and hopefully that that's gonna be at a point in history where things will be better. Well, and again, uh, I always, I'm always hopeful that um, it will. Okay, that may make me naive. I don't think so, because I think when you give up hope, um, that's when it becomes dangerous. Um, So um, I do think that that's, um, I I do think that, yes, we're going to, 
come out of this um, better, right? Um, I wanted to also hit on something that um, I think, you know, this week was, you know, brought to a lot of uh, people's attention. And I, I don't know why it's not necessarily taught in history books, but should be. And this goes back to the, you know, the systemic institutionalized racism, keeping certain demographic of society down. And um, and that's one, it's, I want to talk about Juneteenth, right? And the other one is, I want to talk about Tulsa. And I think they're both uh, relevant to today's discussion. Because um, Juneteenth is the day the last um, slaves within the United States were free. Okay. And that was um, in Galveston, Texas. Uh, And I do think that it should be a national holiday. Um, It isn't a national holiday here in the States. I think it needs to be because we need to know it, understand it. A lot of states have. Have, they, have made it a state holiday. I think 45, it started out in Texas in 1980, making, a, making Juneteenth a state holiday. Um, and that's the final emancipation and the last um, remnants of slavery. But as we've spoken, that didn't end it because it just got institutionalized in the, um, uh, what did you call it, um, Chris? Um, was it uh, was incarceration or prison? Yeah, yeah, the prison industrial complex. Um, so it just got converted into a different type. I think Juneteenth is um, should be national. Uh, there's 45 states that uh, started with uh, Texas in 1980. 45 states have implemented it, um, and so it'd be interesting. Plus Washington D.C., where they make it a state or territorial holiday, that's one. And then Tulsa, um, which, again, I admitted to my ignorance in one of my, in in one of our previous podcasts, I didn't even know about the Tulsa massacre in Black Wall Street until um, Watchmen, the series, had played in the HBO, right? I agree. Yeah, the, like the whole Tulsa, like you know, um, I'm not American, so that part of American history was definitely not on my radar. But uh, I came to realize that apparently it was on no one's radar. That you know, the vast majority of people had no idea yeah. about what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the 1920s, right? Right. Um, and it took a show that ostensibly is about superheroes to to, to bring that up and go like, hey, listen, this this occurred. Right, right. This 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 event occurred, and when you look at it, and you look at it, you, it's the perfect encapsulation of what systemic racism was, right? What this inherent racial bias can lead to, because it's uh, an event where normal people who have who, you know, from a racialized community, who had you know picked themselves up by their bootstraps, built a very very wealthy and affluent town, right, right. You know, helped each other out, brought each other up, did everything that you were supposed to do to make it, you know, in the United States. One false report is out, and then the entire town 
is burned down in a race run. Right. You know, the town is bombed from the sky by United States, you know, uh, military airplanes. World War One esque biplanes are, are dropping bombs over an American town. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like a modern-day drone strike occurring in, in New York. Right? It's, it's, it's this really strange thing that occurs, strange and horrifying thing that occurs that, you know, led to numerous deaths and then very, very quickly gets swept under the rug, you know, almost intentionally hidden from, from my, well, you know, I, I wouldn't say almost, it was intentionally hidden, you know, news reports were squelched. They were, you know, despite hundreds of people being killed, thousands left homeless there is very limited reporting on it. And that's because that information was suppressed. Yeah. But eventually the story comes out. They reframe it, right, for our modern context. And then we see that this, this issue has always been there, right? Yeah. That every first comes with, you know, comes with a million things that happened before it to, to, to reach that point, right? You know, for every stride that we made, it's because, you know, there's a billion on the ground for it. Right. Um, it's, it, it's a strange thing. And Tulsa represents it. Um, and it has this history that, you know, a year ago wouldn't have been controversial. That, that town's history um, was relatively unknown. But now, yeah. right, now it's, it's very well known. And then we have, uh, I think it's today, there's a rally going on there. Yes, I mean, originally the rally was supposed to be yesterday, but with all the pressure, the Trump campaign moved it to today. So there is a rally today, um, June 20th. (laughs) We should tell everybody what today is, because I don't think we did. June 20th, 2020, there is a rally. And um, I hope that the protesters, uh, because... Wherever there's a campaign rally for the Trump administration, there's going to be a lot of protesters. He just, you know, just by 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 what has been happened, positions it it there, there's just a lot of protests that do end up happening. Um, there's going to be protesters there. Um, remember that you have people, protesters have people on their sides when it's nonviolent. Yes. Right. Of violence is where one loses support, but if it's nonviolent protest, you're you're not going to lose support, okay? Um, and of yeah, course, you're going to have um, Trump supporters who are going to be at this rally, and they're hardcore supporters, and they're very um, vehement about their support, um, and do not like any dissent or discord of which the protesters uh, represent. So I'm hoping that both sides will be civil, but we'll see. I mean, it's a powder keg in my opinion. It is, uh, um, but the, the timing, the location, all of it just shows complete list lack and disregard of history, right? Of yeah. the past. Of acknowledging this problem, you know? You know, we, we have to acknowledge... The first step is to always acknowledge there's a problem. Yeah. And for the longest time, 
people have used every excuse in their book to say, yeah, you see the problem doesn't exist. We did this. Right? This can't be true. We, we fixed this. We did that. We did this. We did this. All of it is not going to be enough anymore. Um, you know, this rally in the middle of COVID in a town scarred with history moved from a date filled, you know, with historical context. Yeah. All of it is, is just, it, all of it is just a powder keg waiting to explode. You know, everything has been put together and all it's going to take is one bad faith actor from each side. And right. And will explode. Right. All you one psycho, you know, proud boy or Antifa or or anything. I want to go on both on all sides of the spectrum. You just need one person there, a bad faith actor, to set this whole thing ablaze. Yeah. And everyone will be using it as, oh, you see, look at the, what the other side does. And I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's very effective. Right. I see this as an right issue when it comes not just to racism, but when it comes to the police. Right. Yeah. You know, if we take away the racial aspect of this, the class aspect still remains. And there are plenty, plenty of, you know, of, of, of lower class, you know, individuals across multiple races will be messed with. Right. Because of it, by the police or others in power. Mm-hmm. Right. The police will terrorize their communities. Right. And it doesn't matter. It could be it could be a ghetto. It could be a trailer park. Right. Yeah. It could be a, a high rise. It could be a slum. It could be anything. Right. Individuals with power who have no accountability. Right. Will terrorize individuals. Right. Oh, and I think right. that's the key is accountability. We need to form a system which is accountable and accountability can't be just with within your group or your demographic because that leads to abuses. Absolutely. All right. I think we've been a little bit preachy and, and this topic has been really, really heavy. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, we, we try not to be preachy. Um, what we want to do is try to get you to start thinking, um, you know, about what you're hearing, because at the end of the day, I, the best society is a well-informed society. Okay. And this information is available. So I encourage you, you know, to uh, look up the Tulsa race massacre. I encourage you to look up Juneteenth. Um, I encourage you to look at, you know, look up Galveston, Texas, um, slavery, Thirteenth um, Amendment. There's, there's a rich history here, from which we should be learning, um, so that we don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah, and it's not to say that those things that uh, Ike just mentioned are everything. Yeah, right. But they are a good starting point to just educate yourself on, because history is incredibly important. You know, people need to remember the past. Yeah. So that they can make informed decisions about the future. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, we've hawked this show many times, but I'm going to say it again. Watch Watchmen. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I know we've said it <laughs> a lot of time. We've mentioned it several times you know, in our discussion. Um, I would concur with Chris. Please watch Watchmen. It's a really good show. I hope there is a season two, but they did do a really good job in terms of finishing the arc of the story as well. 
So I, you know, if it, you're one of those people who are like, oh, well, you know, I don't like cliffhangers. There isn't a cliffhanger. There's a nice arc, but it's a really good show. Um, and uh, it teaches you things that you didn't know about in the game. Like I said, I didn't know about the Tulsa Race Massacre until that show. And yeah. that made me go down the rabbit hole of researching it. And as you research, you realize there's other things that you don't, you didn't know, right? And that's always important. Yeah. Yeah there's, def- yeah, there's definitely gaps in everyone's knowledge, and it's okay to, to have it. Just, you know, learn, educate yourself, learn from others, take different opinions, right? Come to your own, right? Yeah. Make sure you can back it up, right? Don't rely don't rely on feels and what feels good that applies to everybody just rely on that everyone has certain unalienable rights and that individuals who are above reproach inherently can break you know and and destroy our liberties yeah right our liberties shouldn't be you know shouldn't be up for grabs based on who's who's watching us at the at that moment yeah. Um, and you know that's that's essentially it. I wish that there was more things I could say. Hey, watch this or or do that and get onto a lighter subject. But today is a heavy one. Um, and you know maybe maybe you know maybe when I'm older this won't be an issue. Uh, time will tell. Right. I, I agree. And on that note, we're we thank you for joining us. Um, please, if you enjoyed our discussion. I found it informative. Um, please subscribe. Please like us. Um, we appreciate, uh, you know, the time that you do spend um, listening to us because, uh, you know, one of the greatest commodities that we have is time. And so we thank you for that. For, for that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Okay. All right. Okay, yeah. Bye-bye.